0: Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Good morning. It is great to be with you again. If you are new tuning in with us, my name is Matt Boyd. I'm the lead pastor here at Sojourn Church. Uh, Go ahead in the chat box and Just type in your name or or your city, where it is that you're tuning in from this morning, because we recognize that week in, week out, we have people quite literally tuning in from all over the country. Speaking of our country, um, my heart has been heavy the last several days of this week, as I would imagine. It's been that same way with many of you. And I want to say just a couple things real briefly on the front end this morning. What we experienced on Wednesday of this week was a tragic day for our nation. And as the lead pastor of Sojourn Church, I'm committed that we will do our best to equip and send out followers of Jesus into the domains of society as kingdom ambassadors of reconciliation, of justice, and of love. To this end, I'm joining ministry leaders from all over the country. I was invited into this group, and I know as of now there's hundreds, and I think there might even hit a thousand leaders from all over the country who are taking this next week to pray and fast together. On behalf of our nation. Um, what's really in God's providence, this was actually set up prior to the events that took place this week, and I was invited actually on Wednesday. And so as I got the invitation and just watched what was unfolding in our country, I said, I don't know what a better use of my time than to spend some time fasting and praying with other ministry leaders in our country. And ask that you would join us as we pray for revival in the church that can bring healing to our nation. As I reflected on this idea this week and Saw some of the news headlines and some of my uh, my Twitter feed, and it talked about Christian nationalism, which it was in part on display this past week. But when I hear the word Christian being associated with anything other than the actual gospel ministry, I kind of cringe at this idea because what I saw unfold was nothing that, that looked Christ-like. Uh, what I saw on display was this full-blown idolatry. It brought me back to Galatians. Galatians chapter one, verse six and seven, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And so God has called us, his church, to be known as a house of prayer. Even when there's not a, a national controversy happening, the church is to be a house of prayer. And so join me this morning as we get started, as we pray that God would heal the wounds that plagues our nation and that we would be people of reconciliation and that our nation can be united. So pray with me now. God, we believe in prayer for this reason. Because it works. God, we're committed to being a people of prayer. And so this morning, as we get started, we pray for our nation, as I've been doing all week. I pray for the shortcomings of our nation. I pray for everything that you have entrusted to us as a country. We know that you call us as citizens of your kingdom to do more than pray. But we also recognize until we have prayed, we have done nothing of any significance. Lord, we ask this morning for the comfort for the families of those who were killed and hurt in our nation's capital this week. God, we ask that our nation's leaders would do their jobs in a way that cares for all people and that it would bring glory to your name. And finally, Lord, we pray and we ask for a peaceable transition to power of the office of president over the next couple of weeks as we see a new president installed on January 20th. It's by your power in your name we pray jesus amen amen so this morning we are picking back up in our series kingdom manifesto after taking a break for about six weeks and so go ahead and turn in your bibles if you have one with you or if you have the app on your phone go ahead and open your bibles to the gospel of matthew Uh, matthew if you're new to the bible is the very first book in the new testament so if you you can find the New Testament, you'll find the book of Matthew right away, and then flip over a couple pages. We'll be in chapter 5, where we'll be looking at verses 38 through 42 this week. Now, prior to the Advent season, we spent about two months studying the opening chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, which is the greatest sermon ever told by Jesus himself. And so, as a refresher this morning, because it has been, I guess, a total of about eight weeks since we've actually been looking at this, It's in this sermon we see the ideals of how Jesus expects his followers to live, which, if we are honest, are quite counterintuitive to the upside-down nature that we have and how the world around us would tell us to do things. If you can remember and even look back to verses 17 through 20, we were told Jesus and the kingdom fulfill the law of Moses, which is actually the key to understanding, interpreting all of Jesus' ministry right here in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, right after we get through verses 17 through 20, Jesus comes in, verses 21 through 48, which we're kind of right in the middle of that, and he offers these six antitheses that contrast the proper and false interpretation and application of the Old Testament. And so what we're seeing throughout the sermon so far is where we're referencing the Old Testament. We're seeing how Jesus came to actually fulfill those things in the Old Testament in the New Testament. These cover areas like anger and lust, divorce, oaths, Retaliation, Loving Your Enemies. As you can see, Jesus often taught on light and fluffy subject matters. We looked at the first four prior to Advent, and we'll look at the last two this week and next week. And if you missed any of those messages, uh, you can go on iTunes, Spotify, or even our website and go back to either catch up because you missed a couple or just to get a refresher to kind of figure out the the context of where it is that we're actually going to be the next couple of weeks. Some of you might be familiar with the names Jim and Elizabeth Elliott. They were married in 1953. Uh, Jim Elliott's actually from here in Portland, Oregon. And shortly after they were married, they left for the mission field. Uh, They felt the strong call to go to Ecuador and to minister amongst uh, the Quichua Indian tribe. This was an unengaged, unreached um, tribe of Indians at this time, meaning that the gospel message had not reached them and there were no known followers of Jesus. Jim and a handful of the other men, because they they were on a mission team, uh, once they had moved there, they had made some successful contact, kind of some friendly contact with this tribe, and then they made preparations for their next journey of contact when they were, unfortunately, speared to death. Now, after the death of her husband, you would think that Elizabeth would pack up. They had a 10-month-old daughter and would move back to the U.S., but instead, she ended up returning and living amongst this tribe of Indians, um, and she actually lived with two of the women from the tribe who taught her the tribe's language, and so she went back to live as a missionary amongst the group of people who killed her husband and these other men. Elizabeth, uh, who passed away in 2015 herself, she offered four things that helped her forgive while she was still alive. The first thing she said is that she received grace, and so in the way that she received grace, she also wanted to extend that grace to those who had killed her husband. She acknowledged the wrong. She said, I want to make sure that your judgment is based on the word. Be straightforward with God. The third thing she said she learned was to lay down all of her rights. She said, forgiveness is unconditional, laying down of one's self. This includes the desire for vindication, pleasure at the other person's humiliation, keeping accounts of evil, the right to an apology, and bringing every thought to under obedience to Christ. And the fourth thing she learned was what to do for the one who has wronged you. Here's what she said she was able to do and posture herself. She said, if he asks for forgiveness, then forgive. If he doesn't ask for forgiveness, then forgive with God. Pray for him. Ask for grace to treat him as if nothing had ever come between you and stand stand with Christ for him. Now, when I look at these steps of forgiveness in light of Elizabeth's past, it can only be accomplished through the power of Christ. When Elizabeth offered forgiveness to the men who killed her husband, I mean, she, what she do? She set aside herself. She set aside her own plans. She set aside her, in some ways we'd say her right to vindication in order for Christ's work to go further. She knew that her life and her husband's life and even her daughter's life, that they were no, of no more importance than the Quechua Indians' life of who they were trying to share the gospel message with. So she realized now more than ever that they need this message. Her husband knew this message. He did not die in vain. He died doing the Lord's work, and she knew her husband was. And so she said, "They still need Jesus." And so that she said, the destination of their souls was more important than her own feelings of any kind of vindication that she would want to give. Now Elizabeth did not forget her past; that would be impossible for her to do. That she wrote about this, and why she was able to share her testimony for really the rest of her life. But what she did do is she embraced the power of Christ to forgive those in her past. Now I share that story with you this morning because this sounds opposite of what I would want to do if hypothetically a tribe of Indians had killed Andrea when we lived in South Asia. My initial thought is natural and likely similar to yours. I'd say that's wrong and and I want vengeance. Like we're gonna find out who did this and and we're gonna get them back. We're gonna see these two final antitheses that Jesus brings is the highest point of the Sermon on the Mount. Things aren't getting easier any week for us. It's th- these two that we're going to look at, they're the most admired and the most resented because what we see is this attitude of total love in the name of Christ. And he calls on us to show love towards one who is evil and love towards our enemies. Nowhere do I see the challenge of the servant greater. Nowhere is the distinctness of the Christian counterculture more obvious. And nowhere is our need for the power of the Holy Spirit more compelling. Now, keep in mind... Jesus is in a series of six statements where he basically has said this, you have heard it said. Now, what does that mean? He's basically saying, you have heard it said, meaning here's how the culture views things. But then Jesus says, but I am saying to you, in other words, culture says the one thing, but I say another thing. And he talks about how new kingdom citizens, those who are his followers, are supposed to act and respond when these areas of life come our way. Now, one of the things that I have realized The further we get into this sermon is how countercultural these things are to our natural inclination and response in life. These statements are so radical and contrary to what we naturally do that I don't think you can faithfully respond this way unless you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. I think it takes a work of the Spirit of God in order to actually follow through in the ways that Jesus describes here in this sermon. Preparing this sermon this week, if I'm completely honest, it's it's been difficult in part because of what happened this week in our nation's capital, in part because of Jesus' ethic as I look at it. It's just totally opposite of the world to the point that we don't have a category for Jesus' teachings. These teachings are just off the charts. This has also been a struggle for me personally because I often like the idea of vengeance and revenge. I find myself resonating with Liam Neeson in the movie Taken, who when his daughter was kidnapped, he told his captors, if you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you and I will kill you. And so with that, let's jump in to our text this week. Matthew chapter five, verse 38 through 42. Read with me. It says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. These are likely some of the most misinterpreted verses in the entire Bible. Some have interpreted or attempted to interpret these verses as pacifism, as this kind of this idea of this absolute non-resistance towards any form of evil. But I don't think that can be true. Here's why. When you study the whole Bible and its totality, and you study the New Testament specifically in the life of Jesus, Jesus constantly resists evil. We see him flipping up the tables in the temple. We see Jesus resist the devil when he's tempted. We see that Jesus resists the group of people who are ready to stone the, the woman caught in adultery, and he stopped them and he wouldn't let them do it. And so this simply can't be true that there's this idea of just pacifism because Jesus doesn't model that for us in his own life. And so this simply can't mean that we're just to allow evil to occur to us and around us. This is what Jesus means. We we don't respond to evil passively, but we respond to evil differently. Let me say that again. We, as kingdom citizens, we don't respond to evil passively, but we respond to evil differently. Differently than who? Differently than the rest of the world and how they would respond. Let's look again at what Jesus says in verse 38 and 39. You have heard that it was said... An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, what Jesus is actually doing here is he's quoting directly from the biblical instruction in the Old Testament. You can jot these down for taking notes: Exodus 21:24, 24, Leviticus 24:20, 24, 20, and Deuteronomy 19:21. This is commonly known as the oldest law in the world. It's called the lex talionos, tel- lex the law of retaliation. So it's essentially the response that it was saying here is that if evil is committed against you, this meant that you could, you could respond back to the level they harmed you. In other words, an eye for an eye and a slap for a slap or a tooth for a tooth, but nothing further. So I can remember as a kid, we went to this camp called Camp Broadstone. It was up in the mountains of the western end of the state. And uh, the boys and the girls would always have this uh, kind of pranks war and a battle. You know, obviously we're staying in two different cabins. And so uh, one year at the camp, the girls had broken into our cabin. And they had kind of ruffled through some of our stuff and unmade our beds. And just did some different things like that. Just kind of um, mess up our cabin a little bit. And so later the girls were out doing something, I don't know what they were doing, but I remember I broke in with another guy and we completely destroyed that place. Um, We unzipped their bag and just threw their stuff everywhere. I'm not saying I'm proud of this right now. I'm just laughing, just thinking back on this moment. Uh, And then I put uh, candy lifesavers that were clear up in their shower head. So when they took a shower, they took a shower in clean water as they thought was actually sugar water. So they get out and be all be sticky. My kids are listening this morning. Do not do this. This is not a good idea. But I say that story to say, obviously, I did not understand the old law that because they got us and mess with our stuff, I can go back and mess with theirs. I, I took it to that next level, which is not what this is saying you're allowed to do. But then Jesus responds, do not resist the one who is evil. What does, what does Jesus mean by that? In our modern English, we typically think of resist means to to kind of give up or to be passive but in the original language, this is what it means. It means to respond to evil, but to respond in a Christ-like God-honoring way. And so we see throughout the entire Bible, perhaps most notably when Jesus was suffering himself on the cross and instead of retaliating, what does Jesus do? He says, God forgive them for they know not what they do. And so at the end of the day, what Jesus is teaching here is not that we are to be pacifists but that we are actually to be activism, activist. But our activism against evil is done with love, not with hateful vengeance. Think of the last time evil was done to you. Maybe it was your political views. We do not even have time to go there this morning. Maybe it was the last time you got cut off in traffic. Maybe it's because of the color of your skin. Whatever it was, was maybe it was because of your accent, that, that there was some form of evil or, or slander that was done to you. What is your natural response? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Our natural response is to give back exactly what we received. But here's what Jesus does Jesus comes in and he says, That is how the world responds. If you get slapped, you slap back, but not my followers. And so the default question when wrong for a citizen of the kingdom doesn't have to be, Well, how far can I go back in retaliation? You know, it's kind of like that line. Where's that line that I can get them back? But the default question should be, how do I best display the kingdom of God in my response? And what it represents. Okay, so that's the principle. Citizens of the kingdom refuse to respond to evil with more evil. How? Well, Jesus knew that we were going to ask this, or at least I think he anticipated this. So he gives us four examples. Let's go through them quickly. Example number one, look back at verse 39 again. It says, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So when insulted, citizens of the kingdom respond with disarming dignity. Now, this is probably one of the most misinterpreted verses in the Bible because he's not actually talking about physical violence. That's what a lot of people will misuse this verse and say, Jesus talking about physical violence here. He's not actually talking about that. He's actually talking about an insult Once again, we have to look at the big picture. We always have to go back to the original culture and and what it was saying then. And In Jewish culture, the most insulting thing that you could do would be to slap someone in the face. The modern day equivalent would be to call someone a racial slur. Okay. And so Jesus said, instead of insulting them back and belittling them, you turn and just let them insult you once again. W. Wink says, nonviolent direct action. A practical strategic measure for empowering the oppressed, turning the other cheek seizes the initiative from the oppressor, overcomes fear, gains the power of choice, all the while maintaining the dignity of the oppressor. In other words, turning the other cheek is not a display of weakness. Not not retaliating and trying to belittle them back. That's a display of weakness. Because when you turn the other cheek, what you're displaying is actually power, because it takes more power. To turn the other cheek than it does to turn back and give them back what they gave you. So what does this look like in our culture? Maybe you get an insult in your face, or here's what here's what we've probably dealt with since last year with the pandemic and everything. We've probably been dealing with insults on social media. You know, controversy on social media and the cancel culture, and and someone will will say something against maybe your political views or against your race or against where you stand on something and, and what's your natural inclination. We want to respond back. We want to dish it back to them. Okay, if you guys aren't with me, then that's definitely something that I struggle with. I'll see something, I'm gonna go in, I'm gonna put them in their place, but that's not what we're supposed to do here. It says, no, instead we're supposed to turn the other cheek. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't ever respond, engage in dialogue, but I think it's saying, how does it respond, engage in dialogue? Do we respond, engage in dialogue because we wanna belittle that person and we want to to harm them in the same way that we felt like that we were harmed? Or is it to actually have uh, a a good um, dialogue? Now, before we move on, I want to say something of uh, a level of sensitivity here. This is not a verse about domestic violence or abuse, okay? That's another way that people have misused this verse. I want to make sure you hear that loud and clear, okay? Some have greatly abused Scripture by saying that if your spouse is beating you, then just turn and let them beat you. Again, that's not what this is saying at all. And I've heard it used that way, and and that is um, just vulgar to, to Scripture, okay? And so... What I want to say is that keeps vulnerable people in grave, grave danger. And that is very, very serious. And we take that serious here at Sojourn. So this is about an insult and shaming someone. If you're in physical danger or if you know someone who's in physical danger, let's get you out and get you safe, okay? Let's let's not misuse this verse for that. Our second example comes in verse 40. It says, and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. When taken from, citizens of the kingdom respond with radical generosity. Now, this is, again, a, an example that I think needs a bit of contextual work. Because when you hear that, you're like, what, what's a tunic? And I think a cloak, I think I can kind of figure that out. This is actually where we get the statement that we are left with nothing but the shirts on our back. You've heard that statement or said that statement before. And so Jesus says, if someone sues you for your tunic, give him your cloak. Now most of us today live with wardrobes full of clothing. so this doesn't sound like a very big deal to us but at this time people would have had maybe two or three tunics. So if you are trying to be a true minimalist, don't watch a documentary on Netflix uh, go and study the lives of these people because they had two or three tunics kind of your more of your undershirt type garment and then but you'd only had one cloak, more of your 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 coat, your outer garment. And you weren't allowed under law, and and you weren't allowed under law to someone's cloak because they were essentially pieces of survival. Because you had two or three tunics, you could lose one, you have another couple, uh, but the, the cloak, you need it for survival. And so the only person who would be getting sued for their tunic is someone who is dirt poor and cannot repay the debt any other way. In other words, I don't have any other money, I don't have any other means, take my cloak. And Jesus says, instead of trying to duck and dive the debt, show your absolute weakness in this moment and vulnerability totally by also offering up your last line of protection, your tunic and your cloak. And so if someone takes your shirt from you, then turn and give them something of greater value, your coat. Citizens of the kingdom, we respond with radical generosity. Ross Lester says, this is, of course, mirrors how we ought to be recipients of God's grace. We come to God vulnerable. We come to God honest about our debt and unable to cover ourselves. We come to God totally throwing ourselves at the mercy of God for grace. The third example is verse 41. It says that if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. What does this mean? When experiencing injustice, citizens of the kingdom respond with humanizing humility. Now, at this time of, of these four examples, this might have been the hardest one for Jesus' followers to follow. Once again, there's a little bit of contextual work we have to do here. Israel was an occupied territory. They had been colonized by Rome and were essentially under Roman military rule. They hated it. They experienced its brutality every single day. And here's one of the crazy ways that this played out and why they hated it is that any Roman official could could compel Basically, require any subject at any point in time to carry whatever load that they were carrying at any time, but there was one rule: the distance was limited to one mile. That you, you have to carry this load. You just pull my across. here. You got to carry it, but it's one mile. That's the limit. And so the Roman officials would do this all the time. I mean, it was like free labor. And now I don't have to carry all my load. I can just walk freely, and they can carry it for me. So you can imagine that shame and that that feeling that you would get as you're the one walking through the city carrying this load and, and just what that what that would bring on to you. And so in this setting, Jesus' instruction is genius and it's mind-blowing. He says, when you have your power taken away from you, take it back by refusing to dehumanize your oppressor as they have dehumanized you. Show them the power through a remarkable strength of willingness to not act as they thought you ought. It will expose their weakness in doing so. Because the natural response would be like, Man, I'm gonna carry it half a mile and see if that's good enough. Okay, I'm gonna to get to that mile, that minimum and Jesus is like, No, turn to them aside, no, I'm gonna carry it for you two miles. And so go above and beyond. I think our modern day equivalent, you know, I can hear myself saying, You guys gotta be, you know, be the bigger man. You are know, talking to my boys out in the playground, be the bigger man. You can you can walk away from that insult. you can walk away from that fight, you can walk away from that insult. And, and it takes being that. So I kind of think of that as this idea. Uh, we think about Nelson Mandela. He did exactly this while he was in prison on Robben Island. He took the time to show his tenderness and kindness to the the guards in spite of their ongoing ill treatment of him and others. They behaved inhumanely and they dehumanized their prisoners. And so Mandela worked hard to humanize them with kindness and humility. And as he did that, many of them began to recognize his humanity and their own as a result. And so what a call to the people of the kingdom of God that we should fight for injustice and for justice and equality. And we must, but not like the world, not through retaliation or vengeance. We fight with service. We fight with love. We fight with humility. That brings us to our fourth and final example, verse 42. It says, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. When in positions of power, citizens of the kingdom respond with selfless stewardship, Jesus switches the attention here from the poor to those with means. At this time, those with means would prey on those without. There was also a way that land was getting taken up out of family lineages as it as it couldn't be sold, but could be offered as a loan of guarantee. I think of how redlining worked in our own city of Portland and the negative effects of gentrification on our city as people were misplaced. And so at this time, what we see that Jesus is referring to is people that people with less were being taken advantage of. And Jesus says, don't do that in my kingdom. If you have, then steward it well and steward it for the good of others, not just for yourself and steward it for my glory. Don't do it for yourselves by pretending to help the This is one of the many reasons that we at Sojourn continue to be a church that's known for our generosity. That's why in December for our Christmas missions offering, we said every dime internally that came in that we wanted to give that away. And as a result, we're, we're able to bless a local partner here. Or we've been able to bless a church planter who's going to be planting this year. And we've been able to bless our international partner with our missionaries who are serving all over the globe. And so thank you, Sojourn Church. And I want us to continue to be that church of generosity. Now, when we look at these four responses, honestly, how crazy are these responses? I know that these are not my natural inclinations. These are not my natural responses at all. And I'm like, what what an ethic that Jesus calls us to live here. Who could actually live this way? Here's the answer to that. Only followers of Christ. Only followers of Christ could live this way. And why is that? Because we are the only ones empowered by the Holy Spirit in imitating our Lord. And so I think this is something important for us to remember. And I'm just as guilty as anyone else. We can't expect the world to live this way. We can't expect the world to live by this ethic that Jesus is putting out here. Why? Because they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. Only you do, and only I do. Only those of us who are in Christ. And so, when we look at some of the the storylines over the last year plus at this point, or, or just over your lifetime, I think we have to keep that in mind. And it, it's important to remember that we're not the the way that Jesus described that we should respond is how the world's going to respond. How the world does respond? because they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. But you do and I do as those who are in Christ, and it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can respond in the way that Jesus is calling us to respond here. Here's the reality. You won't do these things unless you look to the cross, because they are too hard. They don't make any natural sense. When I was thinking about it over this week, I'm thinking this, this is this just doesn't make sense. This, I mean, if someone just came at me on the street and hit me in the face, what do I want to do? Even as a pastor, even as a Christian, what do I want to do? i want to hit him right back. And so there's no natural response here. But as I look to the cross, I see that reality of how I can actually respond. As we look to our Savior who was beaten and stripped naked and he never retaliated. Never. Jesus never fought back. He just was spread out on the cross with his hands and his feet with nails through them getting beaten with a crown of thorns, and he was naked and he never re- He laid there and took every single beating. So how, how is it you'll ever turn the other cheek? The only way you'll ever turn the other cheek is by looking to the cross. The only way that you'll ever respond in radical generosity when someone takes from you or is in need is by looking at the radical generosity of Jesus for us on the cross The only way that you'll ever walk that extra mile is when you look at the cross and realize that Jesus didn't just walk one mile, Jesus didn't walk just two miles, but Jesus traveled from heaven to earth in order to carry the burden of your sin and my sin and the sin of the world. That's the only way that you'll ever be able to live these things out. And this sojourn church is what it means to be sons and daughters. It means citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So you want justice me too. This is the way. Do you want retaliation? Jesus calls on us to leave that up to God and to follow him into another way of living as we follow the ways of Jesus. A way the world gets so little of. A way of love, a way of grace, the way of our King. This is what Jesus is calling us to. And the reality is by living this out, it is so radical and it is so countercultural that the world will start looking at the church and Christians going, I don't understand you people, not because of some false narrative or 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 some group who is, is trying to make a different gospel and following different forms of idolatry and some of the stuff that we saw this week in the name of Jesus, but because we're actually living out the Jesus ethic, the code that he has given us as he says, here is the Sermon on the Mount. Go and live this out by living this way. People go, this, this is not how someone's supposed to respond. This isn't how people respond. Why is it you're doing this? And this sojourn church will give us the opportunity to share why it is that we do that as we are living a a way that is following the ways of Jesus, a life that is following the ways of Jesus. So let me pray for us as we finish our time this morning. God, we thank you for your love in our lives. God, I think once again about how our nation and our world is just hurting. God, I think about everything that we we dealt with as a, a nation last year, and even now, as we're starting this year. God, the reality is that we are a fallen people. And so, yes, it's surprising, and some of it's embarrassing, and some of it's shocking, but the reality is, this is a sign of our fallenness, of our our human nature in a world where we all are broken. God, think about the ways that we have looked at this morning and just how they're not natural to us, God. Unnatural responses do what the world does. But we recognize that you have called us, your people, to a different way of living. You have called us, your church, to a Jesus ethic, not our own ethic. And so, God, may the people of Sojourn Church, may we go and live this way. And May we encourage one another in this life of practicing the ways of Jesus. And as we do that, that we would continue to invite everyone in the city of Portland to join us on this journey of learning what it means to follow you and to follow you faithfully. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.